Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talk Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast on the internet because I enjoy it and you need to listen to me ramble on the internet because I choose to. But anyway, without further ado, we will talk about the title sponsor of the podcast. Go fast, don't suck. I, I, I try to come up with catchier things, guys, but eventually they just disappear so anyway go fast don't suck check them out they've got awesome dry fire banner um yeah dry fire targets match banners for match organizers um jerseys if you want them uh in the hurtful but true memes on the internet so check them out guys go fast don't suck.net tell them manny sent you in the order notes and i'd greatly appreciate it but move on with your day without further ado we're talking with one of the newest um employees of masterpiece arms um caleb patterson caleb how are you doing today sir pretty good how about you I'm doing fantastic. Uh, luckily enough, we got to meet uh, in person at the Kentucky State match. So uh, I guess if they let us two in the same uh, range, we'll be, we're okay, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we did all right there. Yeah, we didn't cause no, no ruckus or nothing. But anyway, so most people probably don't know you, or maybe they do know you on the internet. But we'll give them a little quick spiel of, Caleb, who are you and how did you get into shooting? Uh, my name is Caleb Patterson. I shoot mostly in limited optics now, but have shot carry optics and open. Uh, I've been competitively shooting since I was nine years old, uh, but been shooting USPSA since 2015. So what were you doing when you were a nine-year-old shooting competitively? Uh, I shot in 4-H shooting sports. Uh, My parents ran a club, and I shot that until I was 18, and then I shot the uh, junior Olympic level stuff afterwards. So in 4-H, um, is it mostly shotgun or air rifle? So we, we shot air rifle, BB gun, small bore pistol, and small bore rifle mostly. Okay. So from a very young age, you, uh, you were te- taught a lot about firearm safety and proficiency. So um, in that age, when you were growing up, were you, was, was there a lot of people in your 4-H club, or was it a very small club? Uh, when we first started, it was fairly small, but my mom and dad uh, took it over, and uh, they were they ran that club for 15 years, and by the time we were done, it was fairly large. Mm-hmm. Any um, throughout, so from your time of competing for, you know, from 9 to 18, how many uh, awards uh, did you end up racking up through that? Uh, I won three national championships through 4-H shooting sports. Did you get, did you get the Mary Kay Pink Cadillac? Uh, no. Oh, so it's like USPSA, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But but I'm assuming there's scholarship money involved with that, I'm assuming, at some point, right? Um, To a certain level. Uh, I was far enough along already in my high school career that it didn't uh, – I did not want to pursue going to college for shooting. So I uh, kind of opted out and went to machine tech school. Oh, fair enough. So um, did you ever give back in the 4-H when you were older, when you were out of it? Did you give back and coach other kids, or did you just cut cold turkey when you were done? Uh, no, I coached uh, two, uh, one team to the national championship one year, and then I helped my mom and dad run it. They ran it several years after me and my sister aged out. That's pretty cool. And it's nice to give back, especially to those young kids who probably without that 4-H club, they probably wouldn't be involved with firearms. Uh, we had all walks of lives in that program. It was really rewarding to teach that many kids. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. And uh, uh, it's gl- I'm glad that your parents, you know, did that for you and many a kid. So it's always nice to teach them, you know, firearm safety and the like, you know, getting them exposed to the Second Amendment instead of being uneducated, I guess, is the better word of it. <laughs> But so, and then you started, you got in, like you said, 2015, you started USPSA. Let me guess, you started in production. I did not. <gasps> so I shot two matches as limited minor, and then I bought an open gun. Okay. Um, what made you go from limited minor straight to an open gun? Uh, I guess it was one of those things. Dad bought a STI in limited gun, and I had to have something that was cooler. <laughs> so I bought a true bore and shot open. Excellent. Now, so I'm assuming, so in 2015, you and your dad both got into it at the same time, or did you get in because of dad or vice versa? So uh, my dad had shot action pistol matches at our local gun club for years when I was little, but we didn't know anything about the sanctioning body of USPSA until uh, my brother-in-law started shooting uh, multi-gun at a local club and I went and shot a multi-gun with him and then after that we found USPSA. Okay now my local club was that Mill Creek at the time or was that a different club? Yes so my home club for most of my USPSA career was Mill Creek Rifle Club. Yeah and that's that's kind of interesting because the history of that town you know there was the ammunition plant way back in the day on the other side of town but, uh, you know, then there's what, if I'm correct, Mill Creek is owned by or was donated by the Hodgden family or, at some point. Yes. So the Hodgden family uh, leased the land and gave it to the rifle club. Mm-hmm. That, I guess the cool thing is, from what I've heard, is if it ever stops being the rifle club, it goes back to the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So there will always be uh, practical pistol sports or practical shooting in what is it? DeSoto? Yep, it's DeSoto, Kansas. Little old Kansas. You know, it's funny enough is like, you know, growing up in USPSA up here, um, you know, I've grew up very closely with Walt Pagel. You know, he's he lives right around, you know, right down in that area, or at least he did, and his his parents still do. So it's kind of funny because with the new plant, you know, the the new Panasonic plant growing going in, where I was looking at the Google Maps of everything, kind of, and seeing where everything's at now. God, that's a history lesson. It seems like. Do your parents still live in the area or have they moved away too? Uh, no, they still do. Uh, they still live in Kansas City, north of the speed tra- uh, speedway. Okay. And they won't be affected at all by the plant, will they? I don't think so. Okay, good. Because I know that can definitely cause headaches. Because lucky, funnily enough, is my mother-in-law, they're built, Ford's building a battery plant up here where I live. And so her house got bought up in that property, you know, to build the the site. So I was like, had to deal with that. I'm not quite enjoying it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you started in limited minor, went to the, you know, went to open. Were you always better than your dad or were, were, were you fighting to see who was always better? In the beginning, he was uh, quite a bit better than me just from the experience that he had shot. And then uh, we kind of went back and forth for the first couple of years. And then I started taking it pretty seriously there the into that third year. Mm-hmm. So when you were shooting, when you started an open, were you shooting open minor or were you actually shooting full house uh, major loads? Full house major. I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Lots of 
separated cases and broken parts. That mm. you learn to fix yourself, right? Absolutely. So at what point did you have to get a backup gun? <laughs> so the funny thing is, is I didn't have a backup gun until I started working at CZ. Mm. So I was reliant on that one gun for a long time. I can see where that can be a, a pretty big problem, to be honest with you. Go to major, well, how much now, before you started shooting at CZ, how many major matches did you really go shoot open in at that point? I think I shot two pretty full seasons with the 2011 before I started working at CZ. So it would have been 15, 20 matches, major okay. matches. Okay. So, you know, it made it through there without any real issues. I mean, were there matches that you couldn't finish because of the gun or did it rock the solid? No, I never, I never had to go home early. That's good. That is always good to hear. Cause you know, everyone always talks about, you know, oh, you need a second gun. You need a third gun. And it's like, but it runs. I mean, but you know, always I, I say that now. I'm gonna knock on wood because I don't need my gun going down. <laughs> but um, so at I'm assuming did you come in like B class, C class, A class, and carry and what open essentially because you only shot two matches in limited. My first classification, I, if I remember right, was B class. Mm -hmm. Um. Now the better question is: Were you more accurate at the time, or were you like were you fast? Or were you a turtle or a hoser? I always kind of wanted to go fast. Even when I was in four eight shooting sports, my dad used to yell at me, "Hey, you got to slow down." <laughs> um, so when I got a pistol in my hand with plenty of ammo, I was always trying to go towards the max. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, and that that probably did help you. Probably still helps you because you know you've never really you've always just your hits have always had to catch up with the speed, right? But, um, so shoot open, eventually go, when did you start working at CZ USA? I want to say I started in 2019 or 18. Okay. And, um, and what'd you end up doing while you were there? So when I left, I was the lead gunsmith for their pistol product line, including damn lessons. Oh, okay. A lot different than your buddy, uh, um, Matt and Jared, you know, they were on the sales side and you were actually, uh, the, the guy actually making <laughs> their stuff work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jared was kind of my big driving factor going to CZ. I told him that I was not happy at the machine shop I was working at, at the time. And, uh, Jared pestered him enough to where they needed to hire me. Mm -hmm. So at a machine, what were you doing at? So before CZ USA, what were you doing at the machine shop? Just general machining? Uh, yeah, I was a general machinist for three years. So you did you, I'm assuming you went to trade, you know, did you go to college and then a trade school or just, just trade school? So I went, uh, our high school had a program where you could go to a trade school for half a day during your senior year. Mm -hmm. And I finished it the summer after I graduated. So I went to a, uh, basically it was a two year trade school. That's pretty cool. It, you know, give you actual skills in the a profession you actually wanted to go into. Now, the question is, what made you want to be a machinist in the first place? Uh, so I was actually going to go to trade school to be a carpenter because that's what my dad is by trade. Mm -hmm. And the 2008 housing crisis happened. And my dad told me, you really don't want to go into carpentry right now because of the market. So I went to uh, the trade school try it day. Mm -hmm. And I tried welding and machining, and I 
I like the uh, idea of working with metal and making precise parts. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I, we have something similar to that up here for the kids. They can like, they, but that's kind of, that's really cool. The machining background that you have now, were you always like want when you were a child, were you always wanting to make things or just like, did it grow later in life that, that drive? It was one of those things when I started getting involved with firearms and wanting mm -hmm. better quality firearms. Right. Uh, I kind of attested that to the firearm I started out with an open and how much tinkering and measuring and playing with it until I got it reliable. Uh, so I had kind of an interest of making things better. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what started that. Gotcha. Thomas, that alleyway. And I'm betting it was probably a little bit due to your dad, you know, being a, like a carpenter, he's probably a very good carpenter and, you know, things have to be square, precise and true. Not, not, oh, this'll do. <laughs> Now, did he do a bunch of finish work or a bunch of uh, roughing? Uh, he he actually does uh, office furniture and wall installation now is his main things because the big companies in Kansas City like Sprint and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's done a little bit of all of it. Yeah. Did he ever drag you to work some days? Uh, a couple times when we were going out of town that weekend for a match and shooting sports, he'd drag us by the office on the way out of town. Huh? Might as well be like, well, you better sit here for a couple hours. I got to get some work done. <laughs> now, did it, was it like a whole family ordeal? I'm, well, I'm assuming in 4-H, if you'd leave for a match, you had to go be a whole family ordeal, right? Pack up and stay in a hotel? Uh, yeah, depending on how far the match was. But being as big as our area was, we traveled quite a bit. Um, my mom and my mom did the paperwork side of uh, the 4-H stuff. My dad was one of the coaches and my sister also shot as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a family ordeal. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you said, you know, see Jared pressured CZ to get you on as there, you know, as a pistol smith, well, as a machinist or, or is it straight up? Did you go in as a pistol, as pistol smith at that point? So I went in, I, the job I took was a gunsmithing job. Okay. And I'm assuming it, now, what, when you originally started, what guns were you actually had your hands on then? Uh, mostly when we started was when the P-10 line first started coming out. It was mostly armory work in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then I worked up to working on the, you know, the checkmates and the shadows and the tax ports. And then eventually got my hands on the Dan Wesson line. Gotcha. And the Dan Wesson, sorry, the Dan Wesson line's all 1911s, correct? Yes. Gotcha. So, and, and for a while, you were still shooting, you were always shooting Shadow 2s for CZ, weren't you? Or did you shoot the P-10 like Matt was? I shot Checkmates for CZ mm -hmm. um, until I made GM and Open. And then they discontinued the Checkmate that last year, so I had to switch to Shadow 2s to shoot carry optics. So, okay. So you're saying that the checkmate is discontinued, so nobody else can get in. So all the checkmates that are out there are the only ones on the market, correct? Yeah. Okay. Unless CZ decides to bring them back, I guess. But I don't know if they. I don't. Pro probably not. I'm assuming probably not. Don't 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 uh, mess with your NDA if you have one. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't have one, thankfully. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming since they redid the tax port last year, they're going to redo the checkmate and re-release it. It's what it's kind of what they typically do. Gotcha. Yeah, well then that'd be good because people always. Well, I don't know. There's, a, I, I know a few people who shoot checkmates, but not that, not that many. Now the question is, it was really, 
Go ahead. It was really ex- obscure when I started. I had to do a lot of searching and figuring and what parts to order, and most of those parts had to come from overseas. Uh, but I got kind of a cult following behind them, and then they decided they were going to discontinue them. So mm-hmm. now, did you have to do it? I'm assuming on your personal guns, you did a bunch of tinkering on them. So luckily, uh, Kyle Stevens, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was shooting them for a while, and my boss uh, ran into him at a USPSA Nationals and kind of got contact information from him, and he kind of helped me initially get them set up to where they needed to be. And then I did little tinkering here and there to finalize the way I liked them. Gotcha. Now, did you have to throw out the barrels? Absolutely. <laughs> Because what I'm assuming from factory, they won't take what a 1.12 maybe at, at the most, usually. Yeah, so I throw it in mine all the way to take uh 1170 to 1178. Yeah, so that's that's a definite uh improvement, especially for uh shooting major loads out of. Yeah, I was not going to try to make major with the bullet shove that far into the case. No, well. It's most of the powder, you'd have to probably find the one powder that it would work with. Because most powders, yeah. you got to fill the whole case and you can't crush the bullet that deep. But yeah, shoot, shooting 147s in major does not sound like fun. No, not at all. So, how long did it take you from starting to shoot open to make Grandmaster? I believe it was five years. So, five full seasons of shooting open before I made GM. Now, was that just a uh, a consistency thing, or was it when you eventually you stopped trying to make GM? Or Well, the better question is, did you have the active goal to become a Grandmaster, or did it just happen? So I had a grand, I had a goal of making Grandmaster before I even started this sport. Um, I grew up in the generation that had Top Shot mm-hmm. on the History Channel, and all they could talk about was JJ and Blake having Grandmaster cards, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So that was the goal was I wasn't going to quit shooting open until I made GM. Fair enough. Now, um, speaking of top, I did go back. What was that? I was watching it probably on Amazon prime. I went back and started watching the first couple seasons of that. Cause I, I swear to God, what the second season had to had Chris Tilly on it or something. And it was the, I think it was the darndest thing. He's like, this is not like my Glock. I can't shoot this thing. It's not like my Glock. <laughs> I have to go back and find that clip and send it to you. Cause it was hilarious. But, but I do remember that, you know, Blake was on there, JJ, and I think what Ben was on there as like a as like a, a specialist or whatever for one season. Yeah, it's been a long time. I haven't rewatched any of them. So listeners and Caleb, go back and rewatch them. JJ had uh, more hair. We'll say that. <laughs> it's okay. But so you had the goal of making Grandmaster is. Well, did you grow up being – well, I'm assuming you were very competitive, and that's kind of what kind of wanted to push you as well too, right? You, you always wanted to win. Absolutely. Um, when we were in 4-H, we were a very competitive team and set several state records that will probably never be broken. Um, and our whole goal was to be is absolutely the best that we could be, and I just took that on to USPSA once I made that swap. Right. Now – what did it come easy or was it a long, difficult journey to make Grandmaster in that five years? Um, it, I, there was definitely some ups and downs. Uh, luckily, I fell into the group of shooters that was in Kansas City at the time. And at that time, there was 
I want to say there was four active grandmasters that were top 15 capable, uh, including Jared and Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And actually got to squad and shoot with those guys and see what it took to be at that level. And uh, once I saw that, it was learning how to dry fire, talking to them, learning stage breakdown. And it was just a steady progress uh, mm-hmm. through the years to get to where I was. Gotcha. Now, did you take in that five years? Did you, other than shooting with high level shooters, did you go take any classes at that point? I've only ever taken one class uh, in uh, practical shooting, and it was with Merle Eddington. Uh, he was a national champion in the early 90s and shot on the Army Marshalship Unit. And he had a class, he was local to us, and he put a class on at Mill Creek. Mm-hmm. And I took his class. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. I've signed up for a couple bin classes, but the one that I was supposed to take was the weekend I was moving down here. Oh yeah, that that that, that doesn't work very well. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I guess let's talk. I guess. So yeah, I guess we'll segue a little bit. So now you are in Georgia. Is it uh? Is it warmer in Georgia than it was in Kansas? It is crazy how hot it gets down here. Do you think you'll, you'll think you'll uh, transition well, or is it just, uh, it's always going to be like, it's too damn hot. <laughs> uh, there's a reason that they don't shoot majors in the South in the summertime. Yeah. It's can... uh, it's crazy. Yeah. You're still, you're still able to shoot. They'll still shoot locals on the weekend. So won't they? Uh, yeah. Um, you can shoot a USPSA match at a, a really good club every weekend down here if you want to. Mm-hmm. Are you not, now? Are you near like the Georgia South Carolina borderline or or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm 15 minutes from South Carolina, so I will go shoot uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is where Tyler uh, Messenheimer shoots, mm-hmm. and then I will go shoot. I'm actually going to go shoot Belton for the first time next weekend. It, that's his home range, and then Hopkins also shoots there. So. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The, from, it seems at least like in that South Carolina area, there's like a Mecca of shooting. Well, even and like, that's like the, the South, well, the Southeast kind of region where there's a bunch of shooting you can do. And it's pretty darn good. Now you have, you, you haven't shot a major yet near you yet until what September, maybe. Um. Yeah. I'll be shooting the Alabama section since they canceled the Georgia state match. Oh, that's sad. So, yeah, I don't know what happened there, but they just up and canceled it. So I will be shooting Alabama section okay. this fall. That'll be nice. Well, that sucks that they canceled that. I, but most match directors take into good consideration before they cancel it, or or it's usually a freak phenomenon why they have to cancel it for some reason. That's a lot of money to have to go back into other people. You know, have to worry about all those refunds and get everybody their money uh, They back. never... They never opened it for registration. Oh, well, so that's even better. I don't, I don't know what happened. Hmm. Probably just tried to reserve the date, and then it couldn't happen. So they said, "Oh, oh well." That's that's a bummer. So now you're 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 now you're working for MPA as what is your title there now? Uh, I don't know exact title. I help David Lyle a oh. lot with his uh, responsibilities. Okay, so you're head motherfucker in charge number two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
that's cool. Uh, so, so you're helping David, which probably he's probably very thankful for because probably he was running with his head, running around like a chicken with his head cut off most of the time. No, uh, he still does, but it's not as bad now. Oh, okay. So it's his own damn fault that he does. Uh, I kind of took over what I had an expertise at at CZ, which was going and doing the returns and the customer care and answering the questions about the product and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Now, um, now do you, you don't work on any of the guns before they go out or not as much? I build occasionally when I don't have other things going on. Uh, just to help the guys get stuff out the door, uh, but it's once once or twice a week, maybe. Oh, okay. So, what is it? So, give me the insider scoop. What is it like working at Masterpiece Arms? It it's really cool. Um, that the atmosphere is really great because we have a lot of guys in the DS room that compete and care about the product. So everything gets the utmost care and attention paid to it when they're assembling it. And also to make it meet the demands of high, uh, high round count shooters and, and high end uh, race guns, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. So currently, right now, uh, what's what's the most popular pistol? Is it the DS? Is that still the most popular, or is it the open gun taking off now? It, it's honestly, we build a lot of our hybrids, which are they're. They can be used in limited optics or uh, limited minor. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that has to do with uh, we do sell them to consumers through dealers too. And a lot of guys just like to have a, a double stack 1911. But the limited optics guns are taking off like wildfire right now. So you'll, I, I'm, you'll have to excuse me. What's the difference between the DS9 hybrid and the LO version? So the LO version comes standard with a steel grip, uh, stainless steel grip. Mm -hmm. And we also do all the action job like an open gun. So it has the uh, extra parts to make the trigger where we, we guarantee it at two pounds or lower. Mm -hmm. um, and just little uh, tuning things that we do to them to make them shoot as soft and flat as possible. Right. And if I was... Am I mistaken that there's no front sight or it's removable or? So it uses the accuracy X plate. So we, you can have a front sight or an optic plate. It's all removable and easily replaceable yourself. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And do you see, do they ship most of those with Seymour's or without dots at all? Um, we, it's about 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sell a lot of guns with dot, uh, with optic plates um, only, and then we sell quite a few with the sights installed with an optic plate included. Mm -hmm. Now, on your personal LO gun, what dot are you running? Uh, I ran the same Trigicon SROs that I bought when I first started shooting CZs. So those, gun, those guns have got six or seven seasons on them, the dots do. Now, they had to have, have those dots had to go back for warranty work at all? Uh, one did due to a scoop draw incident. Other than that, they've been great. Now I'm curious. What do you mean by scoop draw incident? I was trying to learn how to scoop draw a shadow two and uh, spilled it out onto the concrete. Oh, okay. Okay. At least the glass didn't fall out. Then. 
No, it just uh, didn't want to turn on anymore. Well, that's good. At least they're at least they warrantied it then. But yeah, I've, it seems like now that people who have been getting SROs back that they they've updated them or upgraded them. It seems like because like, the bottom plate on the bottom is now different. From what I've heard, they had problems getting some parts, and they've had to change companies they've been buying them from. So they upgraded them while they were in that process. Makes sense. Makes sense to you. Want, you got to keep a supplier running, especially when you're a company that big. And I'm so, now you might know this better. Is the is it actually true that CZs and Tanfos destroy red dots? So I I have heard that quite a bit. I think a lot of that has to do with the aftermarket companies offering as light of springs as they do. Um, mm -hmm. I ran the same spring setup that Hopkins has ran for years and I didn't have any problems. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with guys trying to get the lowest DA pull as possible. And also getting, I mean, some guys are running eight and nine pounds recoil springs and shadows and they just don't like it. That seems very abusive on the gun, to be honest with you. There's a reason they break slide stops all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I think I'm running an eight pound in my open gun. I would think that'd be let's, what, what, what? Okay, better question is what, what spring setup were you running and Hopkins running then in your Shadow Twos? So I always ran a thirteen pound mainspring, and then I would run either an eleven or a twelve pound recoil spring, depending on what load I was trying to shoot. Okay. And you didn't break any slide stops. Uh, I've only ever broken one slide stop in a CZ the entire time I've shot him, and that's because I sheared the barrel foot off a checkmate. Okay. Well, see, so it's not that thing's fault. It's the, <laughs> the barrel, right? <laughs> but uh, how many trigger return springs have you ended up breaking? I've never broken one. Knock on wood. Woo! <laughs> so most people can't say that either. Now, the better yeah, – we had – you obviously, you're a grandmaster. You have to have drive, you drive fire, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, see – See, well, I could understand if you didn't break one if you never dry fired, but it would make sense because you make Grandmaster. But, uh, so you're shooting your LO gun now. Did you build it or did David build it for you? So the one that I shot in Kentucky, David built. Mm -hmm. I have one that's going out to coding on Monday that I built last week for my match gun. Now, does it look like the, uh, the first gun or is it completely uh, aesthetically different? Uh, it'll look pretty similar. Uh, it'll be all black instead of silver accents, but, uh, I took an S2 grip and did our S3 grip and did a little whittling on it to make it not as aggressive. Okay. Now, so I was at Kentucky and I got to feel the grips. I personally like the S3. So what did you do to the S3 to not make it an S3? Uh, I knocked the sides down in the back down where my hand goes down when I draw because it was rubbing me really raw during dry fire. Okay. So did so then you kept this just so you keep the front then as aggressive? The front and a little bit of the sides. Okay. So like the high spot. So you took the high spots off in the back. Mm-hmm. Okay. That you might you might that might be the, the right combination. So because some people do like the S two where it's a little they can kind of get their hand around a little bit better, but I, I don't know. I like the grip to really hug me back. But that's just me. It yeah. also depends on dry firing with them i've noticed like shooting them an s3 is great but when you start aggressively dry firing with them the s3 will wear your hands out right 
So what you really need to do is get like an S3 modified for dry fire and just shoot an S3 in live fire. I mean, I guess that's the best way to do it. Swapping grips all the time may not be fun. No, you just have two different guns, right? Remember, well, you, gotta you, have, go. you gotta have the dry fire gun, the the practice gun, and then the major match gun, and then the backup gun that sits in as parts. <laughs> I don't know. You can convince Lauren and Phil to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what it's just really cool is now you're working for a company, you know, that is you know growing rapidly. It seems like. You know, for the longest time, they were just known for chassis, but now they're doing pistols up the wazoo. I'm assuming they still probably build more chassis than pistols, but that's probably what their longest line of, comp, you know, competition parts were. Yeah, I don't know the numbers on the aesthetics of it. I, I go to the DS9 room and make sure that we are putting out great pistols. I don't really pay much attention to the rifle stuff yet. I don't yeah. really know it yet. Yeah. Now I'm assuming is that in the same facility or are they in two like different buildings or uh they're ran right along each other on the machines. Oh, okay. Now, do you ever have to go to like a like a CNC machine and mess around with that at all during your time or no? Uh no. Uh luckily it's been about well, I guess now it'll be eleven years since I went to tech school. Mm -hmm. The CNC world has changed dramatically. So so you just look at it and be like, what the fuck do you do, machine? <laughs> yeah. They're pretty cool to watch run, though. I mean, do you ever do you ever walk by the machines and just watch them run? Uh, the other day, David was doing some setup on one of our grip machines, and watching that machine run is pretty impressive. Yeah, where it will swap just different passes and maybe have to swap a tool, and that's always kind of cool. I, got, I was very fortunate. I got to go uh, see the Chile Custom Gunworks uh, back room with all the machines running. Uh, it was impressive just to sit there and watch them all hum away. Yeah, um, they, they and they constantly run at the shop. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Now, do you guys only run one shift and the machines will just run overnight, or is there someone in the building all at all times? Uh, they just run one shift okay. uh, from uh, – It's t we run 10-hour days. Mm -hmm. Probably the most efficient, though, to be, to be doing that because – um bleh, machine uptime is important so now that you've moved um are you able to is your are you kind of settled in now or is it still hectic from the move um i finally got to where i have a range i can go practice at now i did the orientation for that last week um so everything's starting to feel normal again mm-hmm just going to level ones and learning a new platform is not suggested yeah well, yeah, because you're used to the old, you know, that old STI gun or that old open gun you had originally went to checkmates completely different. Now you're back to a 2011 platform or double stack 1911. But um, do you are you back into dry fire or or is that still kind of yeah, like I'm, unpacking? <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty settled in that aspect. I've been dry firing every night during the week for half hour, 45 minutes, depending on how the day is or how I'm kind of feeling that day. I try not to force it because I think when you force dry fire a lot, when you're under new situations, you can really cause burnout really fast. Yeah. I def yep. Burnout, burnout's rough. I don't, I don't like that. I burn out once and I was like, I put it away for a couple months and it was, it was nice just to go shoot every once in a while. 
But um, it's really hard to when it's your career too. Uh, it's one thing I had to learn working at CZ mm-hmm. is being able to separate yourself from work to competition and what you do on the weekends. Right. Yeah, I definitely could see that where you gotta still gotta pr- go to work on Monday through Friday, and then but you never got paid to go shoot a match, did you? You just represented uh, you as CZ. No, it's just match fees every now and then, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A couple guns here and there, nothing crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you still had to perform at your job, and no one no one ever gave you a raise for your performance at a major match, right? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd make you a lot more motivated to practice, that's for sure. Here's your $100 bonus for – here's your match feedback. You won the match. <laughs> But uh, so even before the move, what was your tra- what was your training schedule like, you know, on a somewhat regular basis? So the crazy thing was, is I was preparing for carry optics nationals because I just made the switch to CO this last winter. Um, so I was shooting an indoor match every Tuesday night and trying to shoot an outdoor match on the weekend if I could. And then on top of that dry firing and trying to get out and live fire if the weather permitted it at least once a week. Mm-hmm. So, so on the Tuesday night indoor match, did you try to always go for raw time champ? There was only a handful of us. And when you get me and Jared in a room, we're going to try to see how fast we can go. Mm-hmm. Now, did, did he use his uh, extra length height, length advantage on everybody? Uh, not in that place. That wasn't much of an advantage on how small that place was. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it didn't matter how many steps he had to take, it was still it was still small. <laughs> yeah. Now working with Jared, um, I'm assuming he was always like a pushing factor, right? To to be to be better. So I was very fortunate when I was fair, just starting to come into the sport. I had Hopkins and Jared both. Um, Jared's always great motivation. And then Hopkins was a great person to learn uh, from. I learned so much from Matt when I was first starting, uh, mm-hmm. changing to stage plans and training habits and just things like that. Yeah. And it, from, from my, you know, interactions with Matt and even seeing him on the range, he's much, much more reserved than I feel that Jared is. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Matt will just be the guy in the back just visualizing, leaving everybody alone. You got to go poke him to talk to him, it seems like. And Jared be like – Probably the boisterous one of everybody. That's why you just get him drunk with margaritas, right? Oh, boy. Some of those nights after matches were good entertainment. <laughs> yeah. And then you recorded him and held it as blackmail, right? Oh, no. I would never do that to Jared. Oh, well. We maybe need to fix that at some point. Somebody do that to Jared. I don't know who, whoever's listening who hangs out with Jared still or, or finds him somewhere. Is he still actively shooting? He kind of like fell off the face of the earth. So he changed careers uh, probably two months before I did. And he's been on the road a lot. He's still trying to shoot, but he's he's on the road a lot. So he doesn't get to shoot very much anymore. Um, he'll call me every once in a while when he's driving between jobs and talk shooting and stuff. But he's just he's trying to get settled into the new job. Well, let's hope he gets it done fast. We need to see Jared shooting matches again. <laughs> but um. So, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're still new to MPA. Um, do you have any goals while you're working there or things you'd like to see implemented or changed or 
Man, I'd just like to take the take the foundation that they've already built. Um, David did so much when he started there. I just like to take David's vision and, and go forward with it. Um, Phil and Lauren and all the other high ups at MPA have a goal of building a firearm that will hand up handle what we do to them and make a super reliable gun. And I just want to keep going forward with that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm assuming back in the day you were using probably what STI mags to run your old uh, open gun. So no, I bought MBX mags out of the gate because I knew the STIs had problems. Okay. So that so you're used to MBX mags. So do you? St- I'm assuming you still have those old MBX, but you probably use the new ones that came with your gun. Uh no, I sold all of that open gear. Uh, when I got to CZ to try to help the transition process to CZ guns. Okay. So. I guess that, that does make sense, though, because you don't want to, oh, I'm going to shoot these CZs, but I want to shoot my 2011 and shoot my CZs and shoot my 2011. The, probably the grip angle and the, the controls were too significantly different at that point. Yeah, it was. Uh, I So I had to use the 2011 as a backup gun once at area three because I had a dot to go down on my checkmate, and that was the most awkward three stages I've ever shot in my life. Oh, oh I, I could imagine, especially with getting all that time behind the checkmate. And you're like, all right, go into the safe table. We'll figure this out, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not fun. So the question is, did you have a holster that worked for both then? Or did you have to swap some parts or borrow a holster? Uh, so I had two full rigs I used to carry with me. when I, I only did that for a year. Uh, that was a mess. <laughs> but it was two full rigs, two full sets of mags, two guns. Two sets of ammo? <laughs> Uh, so luckily I throwed it this easy enough. It would shoot 2011 loads. Okay. That makes it a little bit easier then. At least then you're not like, this is the ammo for the 2011 and this is the ammo for the CZ. Now, did you use uh jacketed hollow points, um, when you were shooting open back in the day? Uh, so when I, when I started, I shot full metal jackets. Um, and then I switched to blue bullets. Probably the second year, third year I shot at CZ. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with blue bullets. Especially makes it very easy to tell hits on target because they're blue. Yeah, and the and the smoke cloud of when you're making major with them. Oh, oh, absolutely. Like John at John at Outdoor Dynamics is making his major loads for the MPA guns. And it definitely you can see when Greg Clement shoots just the freaking choo choo train of uh of smoke coming out of the gun. <laughs> but um I had to explain that to a shooter. I was I don't know if I was working Kentucky or it was no, it was another match. It was like right after that. Of course, they're wearing a blue bullets jersey. So I explained to them, this hit was yours because I can see the blue grease ring still from the blue bullet. So they, they couldn't argue with me very much after that. Yeah, but it's all good. But um, um, so you shot two majors this year. It seems like you like we said in the pre-show, uh, Great Plains in in Kentucky State. Um, which I was really surprised to see at Kentucky State because. Kansas was that same weekend. I would have swore that you so, and Matt would have been at uh, at Kansas. So that was kind of funny. I wasn't planning on going anywhere, and then another team MPA shooter had to back out. And Lauren's like, oh, you can just ride up with us and go shoot. And I literally had that gun for a week and decided just to go shoot a major. So it was a very last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was glad you were there because oh, because what Kyle couldn't go was that who it was? 
yeah, Kyle couldn't go. And they're like, I'm like, well, I'll take his spot and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still respectively, you know, only third, you were third behind Travis because Travis was first in uh, limited optics. Now, was that your first match with the limit in limited optics? I'm assuming then, or did you try a little bit with the CZ? Uh, that was the second match I'd ever shot with that gun in the, in the first major I shot LO. Okay. So with a little bit of time now in LO, does it, does it feel like carry optics or does it feel like a completely different kind of game? With the way we're setting up these MPA pistols, it feels so much like open. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see the times at major matches, especially when you get some top tier guys with LO guns in their hands you're going to see him be right on the heels of open. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting statement. Not, not that I wouldn't agree with you because, you know, 2011s can be tuned very well, but you really think that they're, they're going to be that much faster with an LO gun than a carry optics gun. Uh, I can tell you my, my splits and my transitions and just the overall gun handling is way faster with the LO gun than it was with CZ and carry optic. Okay. What do you think that it, do you think it's the weight or, or is it just the trigger system? I think a lot of it, a lot of the speed up can be added to the magwell and the trigger system of a of a nineteen eleven mm -hmm. double stack gun. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the um, the amount of aftermarket support for the DS nineteen eleven guns compared to the CZs, mm -hmm. um, and we have an evil genius named Andrew Hyder that tells us how we should set up our stuff. I mean, this is true. He, uh, he, he can shoot any gun, any 2011 pretty darn fast. So I asked well, he was supposed to shoot. He was supposed to shoot the last major we shot together. Uh, he was supposed to shoot that in LO. Cause I asked him, are you going to beat everybody with a minor gun today? He's like, no, I was too lazy. I didn't load ammo. <laughs> so he just brought his open guns, which playing with, with, yeah. With playing with the MPA guns, I've got a local, uh, even localer friend who's got an MPA. Uh, it's quite interesting the difference between my gun and his gun because all like the MPA open guns weight is so much to the rear of the gun comparatively. And I don't know if it's just that the grip is a whole lot heavier. It might be the magwell too, because my magwell is a two part magwell, but I have a full length dust cover. So my, my weight's much more like balanced in the mediums and like more towards the front of middle, but the MPA seems to be much more in the back of the hand. Uh, yeah, that would be a David and Andrew thing. I have played around with a couple of the open guns, um, but they do feel and shoot really nice. So will you get to shoot open um, nationals with an MPA gun? Uh, so I will actually be out of town on vacation during open nats because I wasn't planning on shooting it. Um, but I'm not going to say there's not going to be a possibility of me shooting open every now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be pretty impressive for you. Now, would you, on an open gun, would you put an SRO? Yeah, because I've already got one. Fair enough. Might as well. I, now, I don't know. Has anyone, has anyone brought a gun back with the 507 comp yet? Um, no, I, I know that Vince... Paul at Stonebridge Gunworks put one on his MPA a couple weeks ago, and he's been kind of giving me feedback of it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see how his testing goes before I, I'm not going to go spend $1,200 in Dodge to 
switch over. Right. Especially when you have works and they haven't died. Knock on wood yet. <laughs> but um, so- yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they'll survive on limited optic skins. Yeah, I mean, they look pretty cool. I, I'm not super keen on the multiple reticle thing, you know, because I'm much more of like, I like a big dot instead of the, the rings kind of thing. But, I mean, they they obviously did it for a reason. Somebody said that their testing said that they like the, to switch through reticles. So we'll see. We'll see how it does for them. But, um, so what did you, what did you think, other than your performance in Kentucky, what did you think of the Kentucky match? It was one of the more difficult matches I've shot minus like area matches and, and nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very good. It was very well ran. All the stages tested your shooting skill uh, in all the different factions that they really need to. Um, it was a well ran. It was very efficient. And just all around good match. Mm-hmm. My only complaint is I'll say this: I wish there was a few more rounds in the match, because all this like there was a, a definitely a number of stages that were low round count stages that if you mess them up, you you definitely lost points. But then when you really messed up on the big stages, it really hurt you, because there's only three, two or three big stages that required you know like thirty plus rounds, or at least twenty eight uh, plus rounds. Were- yeah, there was a couple of stages that weighed pretty heavily on the match performance, but I think that Leif did a good job of trying to mitigate that with like the fixed round stage, mm-hmm. uh, the fixed time stage, and a couple of the other smaller uh, stages that, you know, there was a lot of points available there if you were efficient, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm kind of 50-50 on that. Shooting and growing up in Area 3 where everything's 32 rounds and some kind of clown show in the middle of it, I'm okay with shorter stages. Yeah. I, it did have a nice mix. I did like the fixed time. Were you able to get all the shots off on that, or did you ignore some targets? I had the trigger prep to pull the last round when the buzzer went off, so I didn't get one off. Okay. Yeah, because by the time you would have started hearing the buzzer, you probably would have had an overtime shot, and then it's not worth the squeeze because then whatever point you would have gotten, it would have essentially been taken away from you. But did you think the time was adequate, or was it too slow, too spicy? I think it was almost perfect. Um, We had plenty of guys get to that last position and almost get them all off or got them off but maybe had some hiccups in the middle. Uh, I think it was good enough to test the top-level talent guys that were there, but also not be cruel to the, you know, the B and C class guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and it seemed like, at least for myself, like the fixed time, what did I have? I had, what stage was that? Was that seven? No, that was seven. Now I'm curious. Now I'm curious on how many no penalties I had. I don't think I did the best, but I didn't do terrible. This is the terrible power of having like practice score in front of you on your computer. You can find out these things annoyingly fast. So yeah, I had, okay, I had two no penalty mics. I didn't shoot at one target, so then I must have completely missed another target. But 
So I got all my, I, other than ignoring the one target, I had a shot at most of them. So, but I had an open gun, but I liked it. I liked that it was one round. It, it definitely penalized people who were like, oh, I got to make up my hits. So then they'd throw the second shot on targets and then you're like, oopsie. But I like that fixed time. I won't disagree with that. But yeah, so you shot Kentucky. Um, were you happy with your match performance or well, especially with your limited time behind the gun, right? Yeah, no, I was thrilled with how it went. I shot pretty good for as little time as I'd had behind the gun and all the stresses of moving and getting settled in. But I also kind of went into that match going, I'm going to go for the experience to get to know the MPA guys and just to go have fun on the range. Yeah. Now, did you spend a lot of time? Well, you were at the booth a lot of the time on Sunday, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I sat back and let the Lauren and Joey kind of run around and take pictures and do all that fun stuff on Sunday. So, Did you get a lot of interaction with potential customers then? A handful. Uh, it, was, it was good because there was a lot of people there that were curious about our limited optics gun. So being able to show them and like, hey, I shot one of these this weekend mm-hmm. and kind of having personal experience with them. Did, was there a you didn't have to put your own personal gun on the the display table, did you? Uh, no, we've got another gun that's built just like the one I've been shooting. Okay, yeah, because then be like you just hand over a chalky, gunky, uh, lubed up gun, right? <laughs> yeah, gun butter and and pro grip and all. Yeah, I mean, I will say those those grips clean up a little bit easier. Like even like especially on the like the S two, is it's not so grippy, so it's not like it's super clingy. You can kind of clean it out. But on them super aggressive grips, it's definitely the pro grip and the skin likes to stay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so that's cool. You had a good time. Like, you, I wouldn't say you could be disappointed with your finish. I mean, other than you will probably want to be closer to Travis, but but he's too. I nice. mean, being I'm... within <laughs> being within ten percent of him is pretty good for a just picking up a gun. So I'll take it. Yeah. Well, and your points percentage was really good, right? You had like, you know, only thirty Charlies, four Deltas. So that's that's respectable. Shot mostly alphas, so you can't really complain too bad about that. But um, and then you shot earlier in the year before your move. You were at Great Plains. Now, how did you feel about your Great Plains performance? That was the biggest dumpster fire of a level two I've ever shot. Was uh, it? Did the match run bad, or was it just your performance? Well, it was a little of both. Uh, they had some. They've always had some growing pains at that match with ROs, and it's no big deal. Um, kind of had to point out a couple things to them, but uh, most of it had to do with I had so many things on my plate. That was the day after I put my – I resigned from CZ, and I was trying to get ready to move the week after, and that was a terrible idea to go shoot a level two that week. Mm-hmm. Now, what made you still want to go shoot that match, though? Uh, I was going with a bunch of the Kansas City guys that I grew up shooting with. I wanted to go hang out with them for one last time. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because that's a lot to put on your plate trying to move and everything else, and it just seems like compiles and wouldn't be worth it. You still okay? You're only eleven percent down from Nick, so I mean that's not terrible, but probably not where you wanted to finish. No, I'd been shooting CO pretty well. Uh, going into that match and uh, had a little bit more more expectations than I laid out on the table. But Mm -hmm. 
Now, did Lane have an off match things. too, or or was Lane pretty much where he normally is? Uh, that match was really punishing on on hits. Um, they had a lot of those stages where you had to hit specific spots. Mm. Um, it was in- interesting. I was not a big fan of the way the stages were. Um, gotcha. Super positional and didn't have much option to flow, I'm assuming. There was only like two or three viable options through the whole match. And it literally just depended on what direction you wanted to go. Not really like actual good options. Oh, okay. It's either you go left or right. No no other mix in between. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. That's unfortunate. But uh, let's see. Let me pull up this list of questions again. But um, so I think we've talked a little bit about it. But you've got Area 3 left. Um, you've got Alabama. Any other majors? Um, not at this time. Uh, I might try to go shoot uh, some a uh, couple majors in Florida in the beginning of the year. I haven't really decided yet. Gotcha. Now, you said you finally got your you know your new club membership figured out down there. Um, do you plan on giving back at all to the USPSA club? That's probably well. I'm a better question. Do they have a USPSA club at that club? They they do not. So. Okay. Um, Every USPSA club that is that I shoot at is an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minute drive. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have a home per se. Um, I'm more than happy to help out if they ever need help, but it's just kind of hard to go drive an hour and a half the night before a match and then get up the next morning and go drive it again. Yep. That's kind of where I'm at now. I drive an hour one, you know, one way to go get their help set up, come back the next day and then shoot. So so it's good you'll be able to go actually you can go train at your local place and then go shoot matches where you proceed to shoot matches at. Um, do you and David shoot matches? Will you guys shoot Spartanburg together then? Uh, David kind of took a little bit of a break after Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, He actually went on vacation this week. So uh, I actually have not got to shoot a local with him yet. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to uh, avoid you because he, he knows that you'd still be competition for him. <laughs> I, I think it has to do, he's smarter than me and doesn't want to shoot when it's 95 degrees out and mm-hmm. you end up in a puddle of sweat by the end of the day. Yeah, that, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, just let Chris sweat it all out, right? He's small enough. He can just sweat it all out. But, um, so I guess that's a good question. What is something that, you know, current Caleb would tell past Caleb about shooting? Man, a lot of it has to do, when I was first starting, is just trust the process of you know, getting better, mm-hmm. put in the work and eventually you will see the results. And I think that was the hardest thing for me to realize is when I was dry firing all the time, going to the range all the time, shooting all these matches, I was expecting, you know, these giant gains of leap and leaps and bounds. And where if I would have just laid back and trusted what I was putting in was going to show up eventually uh, it would have made my process a lot better coming up. Right. Yeah. Just trusting that process and it wouldn't be uh, so painful, but I mean, we all learn different ways too. So I guess that, that makes sense though. But, um, so growing up in the sport, I'm assuming, um, you know, you learned a lot from like Jared and Matt, but were there any other big mentors or supporters you had um, in the sport, not including sponsors? Um, my mom and dad were always really supportive of me, like me being out of town all the time and traveling and shooting. Um, and my dad, 
and mom both taught me that competitive to have that competitive drive that I do um, from a very young age. And then uh, when I was growing up and shooting junior Olympic stuff, my sister taught me so much from her experiences. Um, she was an Olympian in 2016 in air pistol. Oh, okay. Um, so she, she taught me so much about, you know, the, the mental game and being mentally tough and prepared to go in and, and do what you knew you needed to do. Um, and then one more was, uh, there was a local guy in Kansas city. Um, he doesn't shoot anymore. He's gotten up there in age, but his name was JD Smith. And he taught me, if you talk to Matt, mm-hmm. he taught both me and Matt a lot about the sport growing up. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate that he doesn't shoot anymore, but I mean, when you get up there in age, you got to know your limits and know when you got to not come out and shoot. And that's a lot, especially like even a local match, that's got to be definitely hard on those elder guys. We have some older guys, but they're not that old, but you're like, sit down. You won't, don't need to pace because you won't make it through the day if you do. (laughs) But yeah, that's always a hoot too. Cause, but, but some, and some of them have really good stories and then they tell you the same story again, again, and again. (laughs) No, my grand my grandfather was like that, so I'd always have to sit through and listen through his story. I've heard a hundred times, but he was like he was telling you the first time yesterday. But um, I guess this is a good question. Um, I guess it's not a question, but this is the part where do you? We, I like to give back to the people who support the you know the you know the, the shooters I have on the sponsors. You know, other than MPA, do you have any other sponsors? So I wouldn't say it's a technical sponsorship but brian at hunters hd gold has always helped me mm-hmm. um with my eyewear and then uh gun butter as well has come on this year because i'm on part of team mpa mm-hmm. uh but i mean that's pretty much it um yeah now now i'm quite just curious what frames do you wear of hunters for hunters hd gold because i got a big actually body. yes i just got a new pair at kentucky Mm-hmm. And Brian had a pair of the new Wiley X's ones that he offers, and they actually fit my head. It's kind of nice. That's kind of so no no glasses headache then. Yeah, no glasses headache anymore. Right now, because that's my hardest biggest complaint with like over the ear pro because I'd always get like the headache from you know my glasses or my ear pro. But so I always wear in ears now. But yeah, that could definitely be a problem with the guys with the big noggins. They're like nothing fits. Brian, help me. <laughs> That's good that he actually has frames now for the big-headed guys. So, and he's always at every match. We he was supposed to come, and I was like, Brian, you're not here the day before. What the heck, bro? He's like, so I call him like halfway through staff day. He's like, I'm on my way. I'll be there eventually. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll see you when you get here, brother. And he set up, and then I think he went to rest. Was it wrestling? I think yeah, I think he went to go watch the wrestling match or something that night. So that was kind of that was kind of cool to see. But uh. No, it's good that those companies support you. I mean, when did you get your uh, your MPA jerseys yet? Uh, they are still being made, I guess. It's okay. So. You can just wear the Kentucky the the masterpiece arms hat and t shirt, right? Uh, that's what I've been doing. But uh, they should be here by Area Three, hopefully. Oh, there you go. Are you shooting with any MPA guys, or you're on your own lone squad? So I'm still on the squad that I was on when I left for left Kansas city. So it's most of the guys from Kansas city and a couple of the guys from uh, Omaha and Iowa. So old buddies I used to run around with. Well, that's, that's always a good time too, though. 
But uh, Caleb, do you have any uh, final words you want to share with the the listeners on this one? I really don't. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, this was a lot of fun to talk about all the fun stuff we enjoy with shooting. No, absolutely. Well, one of these days you'll have to be like you, me, and Jared. We'll have to get Jared on. We'll have the three, the three CZs, the old CZ guys, get back together for one last hurrah, I guess, and have each. But but everyone has to be drinking margaritas, and then whenever someone <laughs> says CZ, we take a shot. <laughs> but it'll be all good but, but my Caleb brother thanks for coming on I enjoyed meeting you at Kentucky and having this conversation with you and uh, to the listeners until next time get out and do the things I will see you on the next one <laughs>